I'm old enough to remember those days before online user agreements. You know, those terms and conditions that you're forced to accept if you want to proceed with your online browsing experience. There are probably a few of you here who actually read them in their entirety, so if you're a sane person, like me, you probably just scroll down quickly through those terms and conditions to select the box that's normally found at the very bottom so you can get on with your experience. Well, I recently read an article that dealt with this very topic, and it had this ominous title, When Not Reading the Fine Print Can Cost You Your Soul. And in this article were some strange and there were some humorous stories of how companies will sometimes throw anything into that user agreement. One of those companies, a company that administered free Wi-Fi to its users, duped people into signing up for a thousand hours of community service, which included cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. They did that to prove their point that we normally don't read those terms and conditions, do we? Amazon Web Services once had verbiage in its user agreement for a game development engine that they had created that had people agree to not use their operating system in ways that would put people in danger. Now, that seems fair enough. However, there was an exception that would render that rule void in the event that the Centers for Disease Control were to declare a rather strange public emergency, one in which, and I quote, a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume human flesh. Or in layman's terms, a zombie apocalypse would render that agreement void. But another company took a different approach. There was a woman who, after reading the user agreement for a Florida-based insurance company, emailed the insurance agency per the instructions that she found in the agreement. The company then rewarded her with $10,000. And they stated, we created the top-secret pays-to-read campaign in an effort to highlight the importance of, of reading policy documentation from start to finish. She was handsomely rewarded for doing the hard work of reading. Sometimes it pays to read. As Christians, all of us are people of the book. We have the opportunity to read something that is much better than a user agreement. Though at times... It might feel like we're stuck in a Bible reading plan, or we don't even really have a plan in approaching the Bible. And if you're anything like me, you feel this way, you're tempted to just scroll through, especially when you reach the long historical narratives like Leviticus or the long legal codes that are written in Deuteronomy. But the Bible is a book like no other. It's a book that the Lord deemed would reveal words that could provide comfort. It's a book 
that challenges our minds. It's a book that convicts our hearts. All of it contains God's words. This book, it does require effort to interpret correctly and to apply effectively. Yet, if we do this hard work, we too are rewarded, but with riches of another kind. Today, our passage is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. In this passage, we'll see exactly how the Bible is unlike any other book. Of utmost importance, what this passage tells us is the Bible still speaks today. And it does this as His Word, God's Word, has been recorded in the pages of Scripture. Friends, the Bible is a book like no other. Our first point this morning is a powerful witness like no other. The Bible is a powerful witness like no other. This is from verse 14. I'm going to give some background information before we read the text together. 2 Timothy, like 1 Timothy and Titus, are often referred to as the pastoral epistles. These are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote instructing young pastors in how to shepherd their churches. These churches, they were filled with young believers and old believers, people who didn't really know how to follow Jesus. They needed sound teaching from their pastors. They also needed help in how to live the Christian life. Our chapter begins with Paul writing about how people will live in the last days. And that's just a reference to the entire church age since the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Then Paul goes from talking in generalities and describing how people will live and conduct themselves in verses 2 through 9, saying that people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, disobedient to parents, abusive. It sounds like how culture has always been. Then, beginning in verse 10, he addresses Timothy directly. He uses a second person singular pronoun, you. He writes, You, Timothy, have followed my teaching. You, Timothy, have followed my conduct, my aim in life. The point here is, Timothy is the opposite of those who Paul alludes to in verses 2 through 9. Timothy is Paul's beloved son in the faith. Timothy is a disciple. Timothy is a man of God, someone that can be trusted and depended upon to continue the work of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. But Timothy was just like you and me. Timothy had fears that Paul had to address. Timothy had doubts over his calling. Timothy was timid at times and avoided confrontations. And Timothy needed help. So Paul, ever the wise pastor and apostle, who was writing from jail, mind you, knew that this might be the last time he'd be able to communicate with Timothy. What he wanted to do was leave Timothy with something tangible, something Timothy could grab onto. He wanted to leave him with one final charge 
to encourage Timothy to stay the course, to keep fighting the good fight, to keep running the race. And that's what we find in our passage this morning. This is Paul's final charge to Timothy. Let's read God's Word together and let's see how he has chosen this morning to kindly address us. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture. All Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Verse 14, our first verse, contains an imperative It's for Timothy to continue in, to remain in those things that he's learned. And those things that he's learned is undoubtedly the gospel message. This is the apostolic teaching that Paul and the other apostles labored over day in and day out. This is the message that they taught in the synagogues and were stoned for teaching. This is the message that they proclaimed in the public square as they were chased out of town to town. This is the message that they preached in the privacy of people's homes. It was the message that Paul elsewhere refers to as having primary importance. In the Christian life, this message has primary importance. This message is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. And it was this message that Paul implored Timothy, urged Timothy to stand upon, to continue in, to remain committed to, despite the way people were living around him. He did this because there's no message like it. There's no message like the gospel. There's no message that can drive out the fear that we face night after night. There's no message that gives us faith to pursue God in the busyness and chaos of life. There's no other message that can give us boldness to stand in the face of our timidity. This message, that's the basis of what Timothy is to stand upon. Then, Paul tells Timothy to remember who he learned this message from. For Timothy, this would have been his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. How do we know this? Well, in the beginning of 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. From early on in his childhood, Timothy would have witnessed his grandma and his mom going to synagogue, hearing the promises of God declared and read aloud. 
And once Paul came rolling into Lystra, they would have heard Paul's bold proclamation of how Jesus has fulfilled the promises of God. It could have been, this is speculation, but it could have been that Eunice or Lois had to convince a younger Timothy to join them in the town square, to hear that fiery preacher who was sharing this message. We don't know. We don't know the particulars here, but we do know that Paul wanted to remind Timothy how he came to the faith. It was through faithful women. Faithful women who witnessed the word to him. This verse, it shows us the powerful witness of the word of God. These women, they heard the message. They grabbed a hold of it. And they shared the same word that they heard with young Timothy. Now, Timothy would have been convinced of this message based on the witness and testimony of his grandmother and his mother, those women he loved the most. Think about it. Kids, they get excited about the things we're most passionate about. Our little girl, Piper, she doesn't have the most extensive vocabulary, But she does have a few of her favorite words in her lexicon. Mama, or some variation of it, is number one by far. Um, Dada is a distant second. And she just picked up Daddio, which I love. And then tied uh, tied for third with some others is ball. Ball. I hear it all the time. Ball. Ball. It's funny that every time she sees a TV remote, It's the first word that pops up in her mind. Ball. Something I've learned as a father is kids become fans of sports from a very young age, and they do so very quickly. It seems like it happens overnight. It's because we disciple our children and what we're most passionate about. We do this through our example, which is convicting for me. I pray a verse like this, I pray a verse like this would provide great encouragement to you moms. To you moms who are at home with children. To you moms that are taking care of multiple children during the day. I pray that you'd see the immense value and worth in just cracking open a children's Bible for a couple minutes. Reading a couple pages. Even if it doesn't seem like your little one is paying attention. I'm sure a young Timothy would have had the same attention span as our little ones do today. But he had a grandmother and a mother who faithfully witnessed the word to him. So moms, please, please stand upon the message that you've grabbed a hold of already. Continue the good work of sharing God's word with your little ones. And dads, you're not excluded I think this verse also should, in a way, provide and encourage us to do the same. I know that it's tempting, after a long day of work, to just relax. Kick up our feet. Do whatever it is that we want to do. But our kids, they need to see us. They need us to lead our family in prayer. They need us to lead our families in the ministry of the Word. They need to see us with our Bibles cracked open. Not just reading it for the sake of reading it, but being affected by it. By allowing it to take hold of our life. And grandparents, 
verses for you. Lois, Timothy's grandmother, is called by name earlier in this letter by none other than the Apostle Paul. Grandparents play an important role in the discipleship of children. And there are many, many of you that do this so very well at our church. This verse should provide great hope, great encouragement to those of you who spend time in the Word with your children and your grandchildren. It's because our example of being in the Word is worthwhile. So let's continue. Let's remain in and let's continue to press on in witnessing the Word to our children and our grandchildren. And if you don't have children... Or if you don't have grandchildren, there's still many ways to witness to the Word to children at church. Children's ministry is one way you can be actively involved in helping our kids see what it means to be a believer. By being with them, by playing a game with them, by teaching them the lesson, you're showing them what it means to be a Christian. And it's a gift to us parents who have kids back there. We also need testimonies from credible sources. Timothy, he was impacted by the godliness of his mother and his grandmother. And it was because they were credible sources in his life. Now one example of this is in Amazon product reviews. I scour the reviews in Amazon to figure out what I'm buying before I buy it. It's just part of the online shopping experience for me. I love to read the five-star reviews. I compare those against the one-star reviews. Also, I can make an informed decision on a product. I want to see posts by people like you and me, people who have tested the product, people who have used it. Something that five-star reviews tell us is that people give products a five-star review because it exceeds all their expectations. It exceeds every expectation in how that product works. Well, the Word of God gets five stars, not just because it works, but because it's breathed out by God. These are God's words to us. It is infinitely better than any product we can buy on Amazon. The Word of God brings wonder to those who search through it, just the same way that pouring over Amazon reviews might give us information about a product. If you're a Christian, you've been running the race. And friend, you have a testimony to share with others. You have a testimony. You're a living epistle. The Word of God has been written on your life and you're a walking representation of the Word of God. God will speak to you through His Word so that in turn, you can speak His Word to others. And people will be affected by what you have to say because you've been affected by the message of the Gospel. Just like we're affected by those five-star reviews on Amazon. Friends, there's Timothys that are out there waiting to be witnessed to. There are young men and women who need to hear this message. God has chosen the church to be the ones to share this message. 
All of this is made possible by the powerful witness of the Word of God. The Bible also gives life-changing wisdom like no other. In verse 15, the logic of the passage progresses as Paul now signals how Timothy became a disciple. He did this, he became a disciple by being acquainted with the sacred writings. So, the results of reading the scriptures is being made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What this doesn't mean is that if you just open up your Bible, you will magically become a Christian. What he's referring to is how the scriptures, or the sacred writings as he calls them, reveal to us who God is what he has done, and how we should respond. That's the essence of wisdom. The Bible gives us life-changing wisdom like no other book can. We live in a world that tries to tell us what what wisdom is with the multitude of social media influencers that try to offer advice on everything from parenting and on what your toddler should eat on Tuesday afternoon. It gives us advice on fitness, on nutrition. And then the mainstream media, they try to reshape how the public is supposed to think about the world around us. But what we need is true wisdom, pure wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom that can only come from God himself. We need wisdom that's going to shape our minds and our hearts to think rightly about who God is and about who we are. Paul begins verse 16 with all Scripture. Now something we must be aware of is that there are opponents of inerrancy who argue against verses like this. Inerrancy simply means that the Bible is in error in the original manuscripts. Critics pose questions like, can all Scripture truly be inerrant or without error? Can all Scripture truly be the words of God? Didn't men record these words? How how could this be the Word of God if it's been manipulated and mishandled by men? These questions posed by critics of the Bible, they're really just a reflection of another question that's echoed throughout human history. In Genesis 3.1, the serpent approaches the woman and hisses as he asks, Did God actually say, You shall not eat? of any tree in the garden? When people doubt the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of God's Word, they're echoing that question that was posed by the serpent. Did God actually say that all Scripture is breathed out by God? Yes. He did. It's there. It's in our Bible. And our confidence that this is God's Word rests in its internal testimony. These words given to us are pure words that have been refined seven times, according to Psalm 12.6. Also, every word of God proves true. 
Like it says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. And here Paul tells us, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Friend, we can be assured that every page of the Bible is filled with the very words of God. This is important. This is massively important. Because we may be tempted to believe otherwise, but God's Word is clear. He's revealed Himself to us through the pages of Scripture. The world we live in, it's a post-truth world. Let's be real. We live in a world that's bursting at the seams with doubt. A world that celebrates doubts. A world that rejoices in our doubts. But as Christians, we are people that have, should have the utmost certainty that God has revealed to us what is true through His Word. Now, three points of application from verses 16 and 17 that I think show us the wisdom of God's Word and how it should influence and shape us. First is, the Word teaches us like no other. After explaining the nature of Scripture, it's God-breathed, it's breathed out by God, Paul then calls Scripture profitable. It's useful, it's beneficial, it's good. So what Paul is saying is the Word of God is profitable in that it is to be used by men of God for teaching the people of God. What is central, what is vital to the health and life of the church is this. It's this. It's not in the quality of any instrument. It's not in the sound of the voices and being in tune with one another. What is vital most vital is this. Every true church is a place where the Scriptures are taught, and they're taught in the way we sing, pre pray, and preach. Now, you might think that's weird. Singing is a form of teaching? Well, us preachers, we hate to admit it, but you'll probably leave here remembering a line from a song more than you'll leave remembering the proposition from the sermon or one of the main points from the sermon. But it's okay. Because we sing the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to do all the Lord intends for it to do. And here at, at our church, we're not trying to do anything unique or different. According to the New Testament, we're just a regular old gospel-preaching church we aren't going to be overly reactionary to things going on in the culture since things have been going on in the culture since the very beginning of human history. What we want to do is strive after the Bible's wisdom and guidance. And here Paul tells Timothy that it's the Scripture that should be taught to God's people as they gather. It's the Scripture, not a political ideology, not a social agenda. We aren't going to spend time on a Sunday morning discussing things that are peripheral to the gospel. We're people of the book. Remember, this is a book like no other. And as people of the book, we make it our aim to gather and celebrate the message of the book. And that message is that Christ has come. 
He has come. And in his first coming, he has inaugurated his kingdom through his perfectly obedient life, his victorious death, and his life-giving resurrection. This is the message we proclaim every Sunday. That's the message that we teach. It'll never change. That's the message we'll proclaim throughout all of eternity. Now we do this as we gather, yes, uh, on a Sunday morning, but there are other ways that we do this here at Center Church. One of the ways is through small groups. You can hear the ministry of the Word. You can be involved in the teaching of the Word as you go to small groups and you, you engage with others on the Word, with the Word. Another way is through our men's ministry and our women's ministry. These are excellent venues to be taught the Word of God. Second point of application, the Word sanctifies us like no other. Not only is the Word profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. I can't tell you how excited I was for this point. Not really. Nobody really likes to talk about reproof or rebuke, especially in our culture. It seems like it's an almost obsolete word. It's because the spirit of the age recoils at the thought of being told what to do. Nobody wants to hear how they're supposed to live, what they're supposed to stop doing. Nobody wants to hear from someone else that they're out of bounds on a specific issue. Nobody wants to be told that they need help. But we Christians, we need help. All of us, we have blind spots. Blind spots that we ourselves can't see. That's why it's a blind spot. And here Paul's saying that the Word of God can shed light on those blind spots. And we need faithful ministers of God's Word to apply the Word to our hearts and to our minds. That's what we need. This is why we need to be at church on Sundays, whether it's here or at another faithful gospel-preaching church. We need to hear the Word of God applied to us and be in fellowship with other believers. Believers who prayerfully will minister to us and correct us when we're starting to stray. And we don't just need to be reproved for the things we do wrong, but we also need wisdom from the Word to train us in how to live rightly. It's easy for us to point out other people's sin. It's a different matter altogether to walk alongside someone and help them live according to God's Word. This idea is an echo of Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord is the Word of God. And it provides wisdom to us in how to avoid the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers. But, alas, it hurts to be corrected. It's painful to be confronted about things, but pain is necessary to bring about healing. When I was younger, I had a rotator cuff injury that was extremely painful. could barely move it for a couple years. And after a couple years, the pain was so intense 
that I was ready to try anything to relieve the pain. And so I went to an, uh, a physical therapist who told me about active release therapy, ART, which he said was a relatively minor procedure. And, and in hindsight, it was. The, the sessions lasted about 10 to 15 minutes. But in that first session, the pain was so excruciating that I nearly fainted. I had never felt pain like that pain. But after a couple hours of hours, it felt like my arm and shoulder were back to new. I could move it, I could rotate it. It took a little bit of pain to bring about lasting healing. That's what it's like to be corrected. It hurts in the moment. It hurts when the Word of God confronts us, when we're in our sin. It doesn't feel good, but it brings about lasting healing. When someone approaches us to confront us, it's not like we jump up for joy and celebrate with them and throw our arms around them and say, thank you, brother, sister, for bringing this to my attention. That's not what we do. That is not our first response. But in the aftermath, upon deeper reflection and by God's grace, we can find ourselves grateful that we have people in our lives willing to share God's Word with us in such a way that it would pierce through the thickness of our hearts. That's what we need. Only the Word of God can do that. And the last point of application is the Word completes us like no other. Paul tells Timothy that the Word of God makes the man or woman of God complete, equipped for every good work. Remember, this is his final charge to his beloved son in the faith. These were the last words Paul was sharing with Timothy. Paul here is stressing the importance of the Word in the disciple's life. Only the Word can bring about maturity, and only the Word can make someone complete. My friends, we we need the Word of God to make us complete. None of us here are complete. None of us here have reached the end of our maturity. Whether you've been serving the Lord for a day now, or for 50 years, Our task is to strive for maturity. We need the Word to make us complete. There's no end to the lies this world tries to convince us of. Lies that tell us all the ways we can be satisfied in this life. The lie of sexual fulfillment outside of God's design for marriage continues to bombard the church. Men and women who were at one time running the race so well, have now begun to run a different race altogether, chasing after wealth and materialism. We Christians are being lied to constantly. But this much is true. The Word of God will make you complete. As you spend time at church hearing sermons, hearing the Word read aloud, reading it for yourself, The Spirit of God is making you mature. But we cannot just do this passively. We need to actively submit ourselves to the Word of God so that it brings us to maturity. We need to hide it in our hearts and let it shape every thought, 
every word, and every one of our deeds. And then, Paul kindly tacks on at the very end, the Word also equips us for ministry. The Word gives us the tools we need to continue to be ambassadors, workers for the kingdom of God. What we learn is that you and I need the wisdom of the Word to complete us, to equip us to serve others. Maybe you're here, though, and you're not a Christian. You might think everything that I'm talking about, about the Word of God, the Bible, it might sound intriguing, but it's outdated. Or maybe even you think it's a work of fiction. I'd encourage you to read it for yourself. If you're not a believer, I know that might sound strange to read the Word, but read it. Ask other Christians that you know to testify to the claims it makes. And you'll be surprised to see what you'll learn. Maybe you are a Christian and you don't read the Bible that much. Or you feel like it's, you just don't have the time to read because of the busyness of life. Maybe you feel like it's a burden to read the Bible. As we've seen in this passage, there's a reward in reading God's Word. Unlike the woman who was surprised at her $10,000 reward for emailing the company after reading the fine print, God has already given us a promise that if we read this word, there is endless reward in sight. And that reward comes to us in the form of a powerful witness. We can invite others into what God's doing in our lives by sharing what God has revealed to us in the word. We can provide comforting words of hope and encouragement to those who are hurting because we've received comfort and hope from God's Word. And the reward is also given to us in the form of life-changing wisdom that we receive from God's Word. Wisdom that teaches us, that cleanses us or sanctifies us, and wisdom that completes us. Friends, God still speaks to us through His Word. It's living. It's active. And He's given us a book to read and meditate on that's like no other. God, He he witnesses to us powerfully through His Word like no other book can. And He gives us life-changing wisdom that will lead us all to become mature men and women of God. Let's pray.